I said forget it, let's start from the intro, trying to keep it short, sweet, and simple, also trying to pick up the tempo while giving you the most crucial info, so let me know, in case you didn't get the memo, I do this off the top with no pencil, it's not a freestyle, so send me my Venmo, I think that's a great start, good morning, good afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world right now, ladies and gentlemen, hope you guys are doing well, staying safe and healthy, and as always, thanks again for tuning in, um, this verse is sponsored by Point Advisor Merch, and if I'm being super honest, it's been a while since anyone has bought a sweater or a shirt, so hope you guys are still supporting the guy, if you enjoy the content I provide, this next guest and this next verse is a very important guest, over 10 years of overseas playing experience, more importantly, over 20 years in this more crucial business of tax experience. And this is actually a two-part verse. And in part one, oh my guy, I'm talking about LLCs, S-Corps, how to set up your business if you need to for tax purposes, um, camps, and asking, actually rather answering the question, do athletes get the tax benefit of writing off their expenses? Was um, being tax deductible. Good thing of the work. All right. Without further ado, it's John Carafa, aka known as the tax doctor, whose rates at first probably might shock you, but that's only because he has to do it proper. We're talking about everything taxes, which can shift your X, Y axis. So it's something you really don't want to lack, miss or mister. All right. John Carafa, Pro Sports CPA. Have a good day. All right, so good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to welcome you, welcome you back to another to another episode. Um, this time with a very professional, very experienced guest, not only in his current field, but as a as a former professional basketball player uh, with the rest of us. So, without further ado, I want to introduce my good friend uh, John Carafa, Pro Sports CPA. John, how's it going today? Uh, very good, Carlin. Thank you very much, and uh, appreciate the introduction there. Hey, absolutely. I didn't want to talk about all your ESPN highlights and all your all your dunking on people. I'm going to leave that for you to, to brag about. But um, I think we're in an interesting time. Obviously, without saying we know what kind of situation we're in with the pandemic. But uh, one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast to help my listeners and help uh, people in general is because a lot of people have been forced to do things to make money on the side. A lot of people have been forced to uh, start investing and start businesses. So I thought it was only right to get your expertise um, on those matters because a lot of us don't have that that accountant background, and a lot of us probably make a lot more mistakes than we do uh, correct decisions in that field. So uh, before we get started, um, okay. I like to talk and touch on the ISO subject. This is a my podcast is the ISO uh, the ISO isolation. I'm sorry, the advisory isolation. So mm-hmm. as a former player, um, what what was your ISO move? What was your go-to ISO move if you needed a bucket? Uh, definitely the post-up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I, uh, you know, playing back in the nineties, um, mm-hmm. I was one of the guys that lifted a lot of weights in mm-hmm. the late eighties. Okay. So when, I, when I was playing overseas, um, I kind of played in the, the mold of Charles Barkley oh, and yeah. Bernard King and, and, you know, Moses Malone kind of right. thing. Right. forward so it was always take it to the hoop and um you know the european players would bounce off of me <laughs> i got I had it, to get I got a bucket it. that's what i was doing 
how now were they calling fouls back then in Europe or has it still been pretty the same? Um, yeah, no, it was, I, I think it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't see, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell because everybody's muscular now. Yeah. So you don't see people dominating physically as much. Right. Uh, uh, because you know everybody has has has, has in, developed strength training into their into their program more nowadays than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably got a few fouls where where I didn't really do much, but yeah. uh, but also I had people hanging on me back, back in the day, so you know that was easy to call. So yeah. you know you bucket, you have a step on somebody. It was uh, it was always uh, you know get the and one. Yeah. On the flip side of that, who did you hate being isolated against? Like, was there a certain player or was there a certain position you just couldn't stand guard in the ISO situation? Well, I guess if you think about it, uh, you know, a lot of times um, it was best not to have the American player or the import guarding the other team's import yeah. just because, you know, you get in foul trouble. Yeah. But definitely by the second half, I'd be getting so frustrated by a guy on the other team yeah. getting to the hoop easily that, I, that I'd be inclined to, to you know, try to – my will on the section, but then it moved out. So it was one of those things. It was it was always the other team's foreign player, yeah. Um, usually American, and um, I usually like to, to let the other guys burn through their fouls the first half, save mine. And so when it came down to to winning time, hopefully I had a few fouls left and had a few good plays in me on the defensive side. For sure, I think that still remains true. There's very rare occasions where coaches want their Americans guarding each other for that same reason, and it's especially true in China because they only have two Americans per team. So that sure. still that still rings true. Uh, the last ISO question I would say is: if you had to pick a place away away from where you are now to isolate, whether you by yourself with your family, where would it be? Um, we actually like Orlando quite a bit. Okay. Okay. So we got a place down there that that, that uh, we went last summer uh-huh. and had had it was nice because uh, we did go to some of the theme parks and and we had the theme parks to ourselves. Okay. So, um, had the pools to ourselves and then yeah. So I think yeah. that's it's not too bad of a drive and uh, the yeah. family really was going down there. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to hear that, but hey, I respect that. I know you're a family man and. I've met your family and they're, they're definitely good people. And I know your kids are, are a lot of energy, a lot of fun. So, Thank you. Um, all right, let's jump into it. So the first part of it, I want to talk about more so um, businesses and how they get taxed because a lot of my followers have created businesses over these past six to eight months. And I'm sure um, upon that creation time, they weren't considering how they should set it up for business tax purposes. So the first question is, what are the biggest differences between business and personal taxes? Okay. Um, well, it's interesting because a lot of businesses that folks set up are going to purely flow through their individual tax returns. Okay. And so there's not necessarily any different filings um, because someone set up a business. Okay. So best to kind of back up a step and think about what are the most common you know, ways that, that folks are setting something up, right? How does that get treated from tax purposes? And then, then I can kind of explain, you know, what a business tax return would look like. Okay. In circumstances. So if you've got somebody that, um, that wants to form a business, they don't have to set up an LLC. Mm-hmm. They don't have to actually set up a company. Mm-hmm. You can go out and you could say, okay, I want to send up, you know, set up 
um, you know, Carlin Brown landscaping business. Mm-hmm. And, and you can use that name. You don't have to do anything. You could just go out, print business cards. That's mm-hmm. my business. Mm-hmm. And then that would be what's called a sole proprietorship. Okay. You are the owner of that. You operate like that. It's actually under your social security number. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no anything in between you and liability. So, you know, that can create an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, that flows to your Schedule C on your income tax return, on your mm. personal return. Mm-hmm. And, and you probably don't even need to file any licenses or anything else with the state or local community. Right. So that's just one way. You just set up a business. I'm just going to be a sole proprietor. Yeah. Most people do, though, is when they're going to go out, especially if they're going to go out with any kind of business where there is some potential that somebody can get hurt or it's a service business where you're going on somebody else's property. Right. And most people are going to form a limited liability company. Now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what that gives you is a layer of legal protection yeah. where if something happens, as long as you're not negligent as the owner, the LLC um, is the one that faces any kind of legal liability if something were to go wrong. Right. So that the LLC, the main reason why people will set those up is because of the legal liability protection, because it's kind of like an arm's length protection between you and whatever the business may be right. so you can have an official name you register with the state um, you have an operating agreement you you get a, a tax ID number yep and so it also allows you to be a little bit anonymous in the sense of the LLC doesn't necessarily mean that that's your name you know right there right. you could end mm-hmm. up having your name in the LLC name but mm-hmm. it, it it's a separate entity has its own tax ID number, so you don't have to give out your social security number. Yep. It gives you that liability protection. Yep. And you have a, a, a business um, yeah. that, that you can, you know, look that people can look up, verify if you get certain certifications yep. in the state. Um, then you know, people can look at that. They can look at, you know, better business bureau, you know, mm-hmm. look at the ratings, you know, all kinds of things in that regard. So yeah. you know, that's kind of another way to think about it. Yeah. The other thing is are you going to own it on your own or yeah. if there's partners? Mm-hmm. So you could take that same LLC. If you have multiple people involved, then that's going to change the tax aspect. Mm-hmm. Once you get multiple people involved, then that's going to force you to have to file business tax returns for that LLC. Mm-hmm. And that would, that would require partnership tax returns. Yeah. And so the entity itself, has to file tax returns and then the individual owners receive their reported share of the activity through what's called a schedule K one. Okay. And then that schedule K one goes into their individual tax returns. So a partnership tax return, that's, that's the way you split up and, and, and send the earnings or loss or whatever it may be to the individuals for them to flow it then through their tax return. Yeah. And then the, the the last other big one, which you see quite a bit, um, is is when somebody has an LLC that they operate as what's called an S corporation. Right. And um, it still could be a single owner; it could have multiple owners. Um, it as an S corporation automatically needs its own tax returns mm-hmm. to be filed, mm-hmm. and then the owners of that get a K one as the as the um, the, the, the record of the results. And then that flows to their individual tax return as well. Okay. So it's really kind of a combination of 
you know, you're trying to solve the liability equation yourself. Um, You know, the compliance, the kind of the the anonymity side of things of of not wanting to give your social security number out and not wanting to be, you know, your name plastered all over the place as the business. Yeah. And then, you know, but you still want the prestige of having a separate business entity. Um, You know, that, that, that's really kind of, that all dictates what, what you may choose. And then also, you know, it kind of goes along the line of what are the expected revenues and profits going to be? Because that could then convince you to go down the route of potentially getting an S corporation. Yeah. uh, as, as, as part of the, uh, the, the setup. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you broke it down in such in-depth detail because you basically answered the next question that I was going to segue into about the S-Corp. But as I see it and as it relates to me and my audience, uh, I have people that have set up merchandise, uh, clothes, clothing, and, and brand wear. I have people that have set up courses, e- e-courses they're teaching online. I have people doing all sorts of things with art and music. So I want them to have a better sense of, okay, how should they view essentially their baby, so to speak, right? Their other skill set where they're protecting themselves in case there is a situation with a customer or an unhappy person who, you know, wants to sue and making sure they're not in the wrong or in the crib, like you said, not being negligent in their approach. If you're teaching an online course about, I don't know, health and nutrition and you give the wrong advice, now somebody's coming after you because this is what you said. Is that, is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you always have kind of insurance as your primary buffer. Yeah. So, if, you know, especially, you know, a lot of athletes, um, I've done this in the past. I've, I've done basketball camps. Right. And, you know, you, you have your own, you know, liability insurance, mm-hmm. um, you know, to protect yourself. But usually when you run a camp, you, you need to get specialty insurance, right? Yeah. Because just in case somebody breaks a leg, you know, yeah. which just happened at one of my camps once. Um, oh, crazy. It happens, you know, but, um, you know, so having that liability protection is good and having insurance to kind of be the first line of defense. Yeah. But then that LLC protection being between you and a potential lawsuit that could be, you know, very, very expensive. Yeah. Is good. Right. So with that being said, does it make sense for an entrepreneur to set up their business with that in mind, because I know you mentioned profit loss or profit margin, things of that nature, but should they think about, okay, I anticipate my company do this. So let me set up, or I anticipate my company to do X, let me set up Y. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think you kind of go through the, the layers of what's the end. So what I do, just to kind of give you an idea of, of when, when I consult with folks and keep mm-hmm. in mind, you know, for your audience, I work with athletes and entertainers right. all over the world in right. pretty much every different sport mm-hmm. and genre um, that's out there. So I, I definitely had the opportunity to see a lot of what works well and what, what doesn't work well. Yeah. One of the things I found is people set LLCs up too much. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they, because there are costs involved, there's, there's, there's annual costs mm-hmm. um, with the, with the state that you're in and mm-hmm. there could potentially be tax costs if you've got, Either an S corporation or you've got multiple people involved in the ownership. Right. Um, those costs could be pretty expensive, sometimes more than what anybody's bringing in. So, mm-hmm. for the side hobby and for you know certain situations, you know, I tell folks, hey, wait till you certain get to a certain level, yeah. um, depending on that business before you, you know, you spend that money. You know, because yeah. I don't know how, you know how familiar you are with California, but California charges eight dollars per year to have the privilege of having 
an LLC either form California or any kind of business in California. Right. That's eight hundred dollars a year that every year, year in, year out, they're gonna get that. And if you don't pay on time, they add interest and penalties for that. So it's a very expensive, you know, undertaking to LLC. And that's on top of you know, any kind of legal or tax costs that you'd have to pay. So, you know, that's one thing. The other yeah. thing is when I consult with people, I kind of want to know what the end goal is and what the business is. Right. If it's going to be a business where it's you're physically with the customer and there's property or, you know, physical or, um, you know, those type of things where somebody could potentially get hurt. Yeah. That's, that's why I would say you absolutely want to go to the LLC route. It's mm-hmm. hard for someone to get hurt if you're selling t-shirts online behind a computer. Right. But the physical aspect of, of that is where I definitely counsel people, you know, you really need to make sure that you're well insured, that mm-hmm. you're protecting yourself from that angle, but that the LLC may be a good layer of protection to put in between there. Yeah. It's an extra buffer. It's an extra buffer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's always you rather you rather be proactive than reactive. Uh, my assistant coach always says that you know you yeah. want to be preventive in your approach, so you don't have to worry about the doomsday scenario because you already planned it in your mind. So, not that that makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I kind of felt that a lot of people make the mistake of just automatically grabbing an LLC. Um, yeah. I think it's a psychological thing where they think, well, if I have this. Not only does it protect me from liability, but it also protects my brand, which is not always true um, because that's where you get the whole trademark uh, issue, the whole copyright issue kind of interwoven between there where if somebody buys your name and you don't do it first, then the LLC is, is pretty much useless. Am I right? Yeah, that, that, that's a good, that's a great point. Um, you know, intellectual property, yeah. um, you know, it's one thing to have a name and have it reserved in that state, but you could look the date over and the same exact company name could be registered in that state. Right. Um, you know, you do need to take extra steps. If you've got a really good phrase um, or tagline or slogan, mm-hmm. then it's best to get that protected yeah. um, separately. And, and I've done that as well. Uh, we don't do that for other clients, but I've done that personally just because, right. you know, you got to have that protection out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this leads me to my last question um, for the business related, because I get this question a lot. And I know you touched on a little bit with Kevin on your interview with him, but as an athlete, everybody wants to know, are my uh, expenses, are my equipment, is my travel, all the things that I do to go overseas or to go to G League or to get ready for an NBA season, are those expenses deductible? Okay. It's a great question. And the tax laws did change at the beginning of 2018 Mm -hmm. to where, for the most part, those items aren't deductible. Mm-hmm. But even before then, they weren't really helping much for especially the overseas players. Yeah. And the reason is um, most of the places where we play overseas, the taxes are higher in those countries yeah. than they are in the US. Yeah. And and especially over the course of a career very often you're, you're going to hit a high tax country at some point. So, right. so the foreign taxes being higher than in the U S usually make it so that that player is going to pay a small amount of U S tax, if anything. And we mm-hmm. can take, 
certain exclusions, we can take those foreign credits and we can get to the point where in most cases, an international professional is not going to pay U.S. taxes. Right. The federal, a more, you know, complicated aspect is it depends what state they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Some of the states don't have the prevention of double taxation in their codes. Yeah. U.S. government has. Yeah. So the state taxes are a completely different animal, and that ends up being where a lot of athletes are exposed that are playing overseas because they're they're they they're potentially subjecting them to very high state taxes, where you know we we would want to get in front of that and and really get somebody to move before they go play overseas. Quite. Yeah, hey, I remember you were trying to get me to move out of California to, to Nevada for. The first three years of our of our business relationship, you got to get out of California. You got to get out of California. So. No, it, yeah, and and so it's it's a lot easier discussion when I catch somebody before they go overseas. Right. Whereas when we got to know each other after you were mid career, yeah. so yeah. you know it's one of those things that you know I try to get as early as I can. As soon as I hear of, oh my gosh, they're they're in California. Well, what are those true ties to California? And right. I start going down that route. Yeah. So, yeah. but getting back to your question on the. The, the, the expenses that are deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, since that tax law changed, those types of things where really it's basketball, um, the individual, the body, those relationships are no longer deductible on the federal return. Mm-hmm. They are deductible in some of the states, mm-hmm. but for an overseas player, it's really not the main concern on the return. It's not gonna really change, move the dial much. It's really, yeah. what are those foreign taxes? So. Yeah. You know, I don't, and, and I've had people, hey, I want to buy this hyperbolic chamber, whatever it may right. be. Right. Um, you know, it makes them feel better if they feel that they're getting a tax break on it. But yeah, for it's sure. kind of one of those things that get really anymore. Um, used to be a little bit easier to get those things through. Yeah. Um, and the tax laws are ever changing. It's very possible that those things will be deductible again in a few years, especially yeah. if there's a, a revision of the tax that we, we think is coming with the new administration. So let's tweak it one little iota. If if they have a business now, unless they have a basketball camp business and they set it up under, I don't know, however you want to say LLC or escort, but, and they're still buying that same equipment, does that change the equation for for it being deductible? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if, if you're actively doing camps, mm-hmm. then yeah, some of those expenses would be overlapping ones. Yeah. And, and I'd want to try to make the argument as, as your tax counsel right. to, to, to take some of those items that you're using as supplies for the camp right? and travel for the camp. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, when you've got income to offset, we're, we're going to want to seek out the business deductions that can go against that business income. Perfect. But in the same token, just because you have an LLC doesn't mean that any expense that you run through it is tax deductible. Right. right. That's where I've seen people get themselves into trouble where they've got a business, they've got real income coming in, they got real expenses going out, mm-hmm. and there's an expense that's sitting out there that has absolutely nothing to do with putting on a basketball camp. Right. For, right. And, they want to try to run that through. Yeah. And that's where people can get themselves into trouble when it's an unrelated, unnecessary business expense. Right. Trying to, you know, take on their taxes. Um, that, that, that's what we want to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are always searching for loopholes, obviously. Um, sure. You want to save money, you want to save money. I understand it. 
but there's certain ways to go about it. And I think when people hear those things, the phrase, oh, when you play overseas, it's tax-free, it sounds good, right? Yeah. But if you don't know the layers and levels of where the government is trying to find money to take from you, um, you're going to be very disappointed. And I always tell players that. I say, look, yes, you're not getting taxed federally, but you have to understand your license belongs somewhere, right? Now, depending on where that somewhere is, that's where those taxes start to hit. And I didn't realize that until I went to apply for my first home because I was hearing the same thing. Oh, your money overseas is tax-free. Money overseas. Yep. And then I got to that part of the buying process. And, okay, let me see your tax returns. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> my agent didn't tell me this. What are you talking about tax returns? Yeah, you got to show what you made. You got to show that you can pay for this. And I'm sure. like, oh, snaps. So then we went down that rabbit hole and found out the real truth. So I'm glad you I'm glad you illustrated that and exclamated that point as well. Yeah, and it's... It's interesting you made that comment. A lot of the overseas player projects that we get at the beginning are two or three year projects. Yeah. And it's because they're getting ready to buy a home. And, you know, I'm trying to get the word out as much as possible that, yeah. that you got to file, you got to declare worldwide income every year. Every year. Um, yeah. And there's people that get in trouble that don't. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they definitely get the get the memo when the mortgage underwriter says there's nothing we can do with the old yeah. And so yeah. that's why we do a lot of these two or three year projects, get somebody back on the grid, get them in compliance. Yep. And then everything will go very smoothly from there. Yeah, no, you and your company do a great job of that. And I've been using those lessons that you taught me to 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 teach the people that follow me. And even though I don't know, you know, everything as detailed as you, some things I've I've been able to manage to say, hey, look. You might want to go take a look at that. You might have did your taxes on TurboTax. You might have did your taxes with H&R Block, but they don't really fully understand the scope of what we do. Um, so you need to go to somebody and I always, you know, advocate for you. Hey, look, now he might hurt you in the beginning, right? Because he's got to do extra work on the back end to get you current, to get you up to speed. So I'm always saying, hey, you got to do taxes every year. I don't care if you're making 10000 Just have something to show so that when you get to that point down the line of your life, where it's like you have a proven track record, boom, it's all there. Yeah, and and it's funny you said that. Um, I hopefully I don't get in trouble for saying this. <laughs> I've I have for an overseas basketball professional, mm -hmm. I've never seen an H and R Block office get it right. Oh, I'm sure. I've, I've never seen a self prepared tax return get it right. Yeah. So, um, just putting it out there. <laughs> um, you've seen a lot of things and, yeah. and you've seen a lot of a lot of probably otherwise good accountants certified mm -hmm. public accountants even enrolled agents that the, the international tax aspect for an overseas basketball player that aspect of a tax return is very complex yeah and if someone doesn't deal with that very often yeah and they're going to struggle yeah. and if you've seen some big tax liabilities that were unnecessary because of folks weren't specialists in this area and right. that's kind of where you know what i saw i mean yeah. I, I had to file three countries one year mm -hmm. um you know in my career and you know i saw how complicated it was and that's why we did what we did by forming a firm to serve folks who are athletes and entertainers because yeah. we saw that they're being underserved and you have to have a specialist with you know because it's a very specific niche. right right um, and you've got the sports entertainment side of it, but you also get the international tax. Yeah. And, and there's very few that have that training. So a lot of CPAs all over the country 
um, if they're only doing a couple international returns and they're probably getting them wrong. You need someone that's doing hundreds of these or thousands of yeah. these that, that, you, that they know exactly what to do. You're not going to hire a plumber to fly a plane. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is what it is. And if you are going to hire a plumber to fly your plane and correlating it into a tax example, then that plane is going to go down the drain. Okay. All pun intended. <laughs> and um, I want to say thanks again for John Corral for coming in here, um, blessing us with so much great insight, so much detailed information that a lot of us are not familiar with, the jargon, the lingo, all the different classes, clauses, schedules. It's amazing um, to see all that goes into that system. And I hope you guys understand the severity of this. My business entrepreneurs, my owners, my camp runners, those who are looking to start a business, all of this is valuable content information to help you start it right so you don't have to play catch up and have to go back and correct numerous years of errors and have to pay even more money out of pocket down the line. So take it one step at a time, but don't shortcut it. Pay the fee. Pay the fee to have things done right. That way you don't have to pay more to have it re-corrected all right, and re-established the right way. And that's what we're trying to get at. So I hope you really appreciate this content. You can find more about John and his services at www.prosportcpa.com. And we go into even more detail with more information in part two. So stay tuned and check that out. Until then, all love this way.